Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. If you're thinking about what work is going to look like for you in the next year, you're at the right place. What does it mean that we have the election now behind us? What's that going to mean for your work and your future and your opportunities? Well, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to recognize this is very much an inner game. and We're going to learn the principles, how to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there, how to take advantage of the changes rather than feeling victimized by those. This is Dan Meller, your host for this edition of 48 Days Online Radio, where we're going to be talking about your questions, real-life questions from you, the listeners, things that we're challenged with, and we're going to unpack those in ways that we can all go to higher levels of success. Here's some of the things we'll be discussing in today's show. Dan, what are the most effective marketing ideas that a new coach can do to raise awareness? How about this one? I raise 250,000 pigs a year, and now an industry website wants, me, wants to pay me to write articles for them interesting scenario somebody says dan what do you order at taco bell that is in line with your new eating guidelines having read the book wheat belly dan how do i approach barnes and noble or any other physical bookstore with my self-published book all right and somebody 60 years old i'm in a position where i cannot seem to find a job my savings are gone and i'm feeling desperation and then somebody says help my inner child is weeping. Well, we got some poignant questions for today. As always, yes, things are changing. Things are changing for the, our country, for the world, for our communities, for our families, and yes, for us. And guess where we're going to start in terms of taking control and making change? And you're right with us. That's where we can start. Those are things you can do today. There may be things that you can't control on a national or international level, but you can take advantage of the opportunities that you have for yourself. If you got a question, you can go to the 48days.com site, website, click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there to write your question in or to hit the little speak pipe over on the side and you can just start talking right into the computer. Leave a short, succinct question there. If you do that, identify who you are And if you have a website, identify your website. It's a good way to get promotion for yourself. Just click on the speak pipe, the little thing that allows you to leave an audio question. Well, John Maynard Keyes, now there's a politician, economist out of the past, said, the difficulty lies not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from old ones. So what are you going to do this next year to escape from old ideas that have been restricting you? A lot of opportunity. If you see it in that way, you got to leave some old ideas behind. Well, this week I I wrote a piece as an op-ed piece and I titled it, Mr. President, will you guarantee me a job? Now I wrote this before the election. As I'm speaking, the election has already occurred, but I wrote this before the election and it really makes no difference even now because in the second presidential debate that was back on October 16th, the first question from the audience came from a 21 year old college student named Jeremy, who asked both candidates, what can you say to reassure me, but more importantly, my parents, 
that I will be able to sufficiently support myself after I graduate. Now, unfortunately, both candidates at that point gave political answers to this young man, you know, playing into the idea that this student's success is somehow dependent on government policies or who's in the White House. Now, Governor Romney promised he would continue the student loan policies, uh, which have led to insurmountable debt for graduates and a 25% spike in tuition. He said he'd make it easier to go to college, a system that is turning out thousands of graduates who have few marketable skills. He even mentioned that half of last year's graduates are unemployed or severely unemployed. Uh, severely underemployed, I'm sorry. Adding more to this number is not reassuring. It should be terrifying. President Obama promised Jeremy that he would increase manufacturing and factory jobs. However, as a life coach, I don't encounter a whole lot of college graduates who identify working in a factory as their dream destination. I mean, most that I talk to want to avoid the life of their parents and follow paths that embrace their passions. They want to be part of a worthy cause and do something to change the world. But, you know, politicians get elected by telling us what they're going to give us. But Jeremy, the young student who asked this question, needs to be reminded that circumstances will never assure him any kind of success. The economy can be robust and unemployment at zero, and it'll have little to do with his personal success. This is very much an inner game, not determined by external factors. The real question is that I would ask is, Jeremy, why would someone want to hire you? What have you done to bring value to the table for my company? What are your three strongest personal characteristics? What projects have you headed up in the last two years? What makes you remarkable? Those are the kind of things that I would identify for Jeremy. You can assure your success, but it has little to do with what happens in the White House. That has a whole lot to do with what happens in your house. I mean, hoping the economy gets better will have little impact on assuring your success. Making yourself better will guarantee your success. Now, I've identified, I did write on this. This is an op-ed piece. It's on my blog. You can find it there at 48days.com. Mr. President, will you guarantee me a job? And I outlined seven things that I would recommend for Jeremy to do. To, in fact, assure himself and his parents that he'll be able to support himself when he gets that magical college degree. Well, let's go to the questions. Tyson from Idaho says, Dan, I've been following you since I read Entree Leadership, in which you were highly recommended. And of course, the book Entree Leadership is Dave Ramsey's newest New York Times bestseller. And he talks about leadership skills in there. And yes, I have a piece in there where he talks about how I uh, help his company and help people shape their personal mission statement. Also, there's a podcast, the Entree Leadership Podcast that Chris Licurdo hosts. There is one of those. I was about number seven, I think, right after Jim Collins from Good to Great, where we talked about how to develop your own personal mission statement. You can go to the archives there and pull that up if you need to work on that. Anyway, back to Tyson's question. Let me start over. Hey, Dan, I've been following you since I read Entree Leadership, in which you were highly recommended. I've read your 48 Days to the Work You Love book a few times, and I finally found my passion after many years jumping from idea to idea. I'm going into health coaching, and I'm really excited to start helping people. I'm just about ready to start marketing, but I'm not sure what specifically to do. 
I'm on a really tight budget and can't afford a bunch of advertising. What, in your opinion, are the most effective marketing ideas that a new coach can do to raise awareness in the marketplace and generate interest in potential prospects? Really looking forward to hearing your response, Tyson. Well, Tyson, the fact that you have a very tight budget is of no significance at all. The things you need to do, you don't need a big budget for at all. In fact, the things that you might be tempted to spend money on if you had a big budget are probably worthless. So here's what I would encourage you to do in selling and you are selling. I mean, no matter how you're framing this, you are selling a product or service at this point. And in selling, we have what we call the three foot rule. That means that anytime you get within three feet of somebody, you tell them what it is that you're doing. I mean, you see insurance, real estate people that do that. You get within three feet, they're shoving a a business card in your face. Now, that may not be real effective, but you need to be that comfortable that whenever you get near somebody, you're telling them. When they say, hey, how are you doing? Say, man, I'm really excited. I'm doing this new thing. Boom. You tell them exactly what you're doing. Now, I assume that if you're going into health coaching, that people have already been asking you for help and advice in that area. I mean, that's one of the key criteria I mean, I have people every day asking me, Dan, can I be a coach? And my response is, are people already asking you for your advice and opinion? If they are in a particular area, then we can probably frame what you're doing and position you as a coach. If nobody's ever asked you about that, yeah, we probably need to look at some other things. So I'm assuming that people are already asking you about health and fitness advice. Here's what you need to do. Ask each of the people you work with for the names of three other people who could use your help. Now, there's some really formalized systems for what I just described. There's a guy named Joe Stump, S-T-U-M-P-F, his last name, and he has trademarked the term by referral only. Now, he works with real estate agents, but he says that you should never again have to go looking for new clients after you've sold three houses if you effectively know how to ask for referrals. Now, when we take somebody through a selling process, I mean, we know that 40% of somebody buying what you have is as a result of developing rapport and trust. So people have to trust you. They have to know you. They have to like you. Those are the things you want to work on. And that'll open the floodgates of people who want to work with you as a health coach. It's not just about you having technical experience or expertise or knowledge in the area of health. It's about you being somebody that people know, like, and trust. Now, are there things you can do to foster that? Sure. You can do a podcast. I mean, what do I do every week, week after week on the podcast here or writing blogs every day? It's free information going out, but it helps build rapport and trust. So then people show up and they say, man, I've been listening to your podcast for three years. When can I get in and have you coach me? So it's not, gee, I'm just testing the waters here. Are you the kind of person? No, they've already identified. I'm a person they know, like, and trust because they've been listening to me or reading my stuff for a long time. So you want to get in the game in those areas. Do a podcast, blog, newsletter, speak at local events, be available for radio and TV interviews. I mean, just yesterday I had one of the gals at Thomas Nelson sent me a link where there's two new articles up in a magazine called Investing Answers and two articles where they interviewed me. And so I'm profiled in there, you know, as an expert in that particular area. Just a week ago, the local newspaper here, the Tennessean, started a new feature in their faith section where they wanted to interview experts in a particular area. And the question they posed to me for then a live one hour online chat was, is it okay for Christians to want financial success? 
I'm not quite sure how they identified me as an expert in that area, but I love it. Love talking about it. We had great responses, great chat. It was the first one that they'd done. They were thrilled with how it went. Um, I'll put that in the show notes, incidentally, just an example of, of getting in the game where you start building exposure for what you're doing. Um, Tyson, also go to 48days.com, click on resources, drop down to worksheets and go down to where it says curious on how to market yourself or your product or idea. Check out these 48 marketing tips. I'll put that in the show notes as well. An easy link to that. But I've got 48 ways that you can market yourself and really none of those cost any money. I mean, you don't need to take out ads in the yellow pages or have billboards or paid radio ads. I mean, those things are really not very effective. Just get in the game in ways that people will really learn to trust, know, and like you. And you can establish yourself quickly as an effective and profitable health coach. Clifford from Yukon, Oklahoma says, I've read 48 days and I'm in the middle of another reading of No More Mondays. I wanted to know how I can break into a field that I have minimal experience in. I'm trying to break into the research associate analyst field in wealth management. Since there are not many positions like that in my area, I've tried to find similar positions to this through remote or networking. I haven't had any luck you have any ideas on how I can improve my chances in this search? Well, I would go right to, if you're looking for a job, then we can go right to an effective job search process and see where is it breaking down for you if you've not gotten the results yet that you want. So the first part is going to be having an effective resume. Does your resume make you sound like a top candidate for that kind of position? You want to be a research associate in wealth management field. So does it position you as a top candidate for that? Do you have an elevator speech that would make someone want you on to have you on their team? And you can't just want this. You have to show yourself to be a top contender for that position. Now you say this is a new field where you have minimal experience. If that's really the impression that people get, you're going to be in trouble. This is going to be a tough thing to break into. However, you can show yourself as being a top candidate without having had years of job experience in that particular field. I mean, that description can come from personal study that you've done, areas where you volunteered. Maybe you did something through your kid's school or when you were a student in college, or maybe you've been teaching uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University at your church for the last four years. So you've got to have things that position you as a strong candidate to be in the wealth management arena. You can't just want it and really let people know you don't have any experience or expertise in that area. No, you've got to do that. If you don't have any, then you do have to do some of these things. Do some study, get an additional degree, act as a volunteer for FPU, do something to put you in that arena. You can't just stand on the sidelines and say, I want, give me a job so I can learn on your nickel. It just doesn't work that way. Well, here's an interesting scenario. Nathan from Plains, Kansas says this. Now, listen to this setup. This is, this is pretty cool. Being an old farm kid, I really just plugged into that. In January, Nathan says, I started a blog as a way to organize my ideas about my career in industry. I never expected anyone to read it. However, an industry news site found it and wanted to link to my site. The traffic is steadily increased, which I never expected. Now this industry website wants to pay me to write articles for them. 
They want to know what I would charge. This is very exciting with even more exposure, but I don't want another job. How would you handle this situation? Now, Nathan's website is modernhogfarmer.com. I went to the website. It's really, it's very simple, very clean, very engaging. And in there, Nathan says, we raise 250,000 of the finest pigs in the United States. I aim to be outstanding in care, culture, leadership, and the bottom line. My name is Nathan Smith. I'm the leadership director for Kansas Smith Farms. This blog tells my story. What a great setup. Now, when I look at you now, okay, you're, you're a pig farmer. Very large operation, obviously. You started blogging, and now it's getting picked up by an industry website, and they want you to blog and actually pay you for that. Now, I'm going to get to that, but you have positioned yourself extremely well. I mean, when we think about pig farmers, most people are going to think about, you know, three squealing pigs in the backyard, you know, in a mud pen. I mean, obviously, that's not your kind of operation. Right on your site, you immediately connect yourself with names like Darren Hardy, who is publisher of Success Magazine. You reference the impact of his book, The, the Compound Effect. You also have quotations on there from Tom Smith. I mean, Tom Peters. Your name is Smith. Tom Peters, who wrote In Search of Excellence. You know, excellent, well-respected corporate America leadership principles. Your reading list includes QBQ by John Miller, Platform by Michael Hyatt. You link to this podcast as something that you listen to every week to help you be excellent in what you're doing. I mean, with, with an operation and the way that you position yourself, with an operation that, which, that you've already going, got going, obviously you're not looking to replace your income by writing blogs. So the price you set on doing that for this website is really pretty inconsequential. However, what I would encourage you to look at is how will this benefit you personally in other ways? I mean, this will provide increased exposure for your farm, increased brand recognition, increased opportunities to speak at industry conferences, increased opportunity to write. I mean, just yesterday and working with a client who is in commercial real estate, I mean, he has, he started blogging at my encouragement about six months ago. And his blog has gotten national recognition in the industry of commercial real estate. Because of that, a major player in commercial real estate has offered him a position to be their brand director. Well, his first reaction was, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to go to work for a company. But the more he's talked about it and with his wife, she's saying, geez, there's some things that are really attractive about this. And in talking to me, now that you may find this ironic, yes, I'm an entrepreneur for the top of my head or the tip of my toes. I'm not looking for a corporate position. But in talking with this young gentleman about the opportunity presented, I said, absolutely, it fits. You ought to do this. This doesn't mean capitulating or walking away from your own personal goals. This is part of a long-term plan and doing this for two or three years would do nothing but establish you as more of an expert in the field where you want to speak and write. That would be a wonderful thing to have in your quiver. Nathan with hog farming and now having a blog that's getting national attention. 
I see no downside at all. Now, this is not having another job. This is not where you're going to then just be tied up and be sitting in front of your computer instead of out there working your farm. I mean, if they want to blog, I would assume that maybe this is a monthly magazine. I mean, so you write a monthly article. I mean, most of it would be weekly, and you can write a blog. I mean, a blog is going to be seven to 800 words. I mean, you ought to be able to do that in 30 minutes. Now, that may be a stretch. I don't know. I mean, I, I do blog every week or every day, so I do five blogs a week, but I don't blog every day. I do those on Monday morning. I just sit down and write those. Then they're scheduled. And I go on to other things in the course of the week. So for you to do, even if it were one a week, I mean, that'd be pretty cool to do that. Every time you blog, you're creating content that you can repurpose in the future. Now, that is one thing that I would encourage you to establish. Establish with them that even though you're writing for their website, you still retain ownership of the content. Even if they pay you for the articles, not a big deal, very commonly accepted. But what that means is a year from now, so you've got 52 blogs that are up there, you can take those and write, write your own book, your own industry book, I mean, which would be a really cool thing to do. So I'd suggest maybe $50 for every seven to 800-word article. Places aren't used to write, having big fees for blog content. But, but that way, at least it establishes a real value, a realistic value. Uh, but the, uh, I mean, a realistic fee, at least for any, but the real value is what it will do for you. Look at it in that way. Then I would encourage you to link arms. Do this. Sounds like a great addition to what you're already doing. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we take your questions And your live calls, if you want to do those as well, your recorded calls at least, you can just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You can leave an audio message there. We can put you right into the sequence here, or you can write out your question. Either way, I'd be happy to entertain that. Consideration for an upcoming show. Steve from Austin, Texas says, Dan, you've mentioned, now this would really puts me on the spot here. You've mentioned that after reading Wheat Belly, you changed your eating habits. I also read that book a few months ago and have tried to eliminate grains from my diet. You also mentioned that you take your granddaughter to Taco Bell every week. Now, it's a well-known fact that after I record the podcast, I my granddaughter is down here at the sanctuary where I work in Franklin, Tennessee, And she's here for an art class with her mama and her grandma. And so she and I go to Taco Bell every Wednesday for lunch. So uh, Steve is saying, hey, dude, I've heard you talk about a wheat belly where it talks about eliminating grains. Boy, that's another farming question. And that's another farming issue that I'd love to hear some of you comment on. The premise in wheat belly in as much as we hear, oh, you got to have your grains, you got to eat bread, bread's good for you, and all the things we have wheat in, you know, they're all good for you because you're getting grains. In Wheat Belly, a doctor unpacks the wheat industry and says that wheat has been so genetically modified that it no longer has the nutritional value of the kind of stuff that our grandfathers were growing. I mean, it's been hybridized so that they get maximum production and no nutrition. Okay, now you can read and make up your own mind, but I was majorly impacted by reading the book and decided to eliminate wheat from my diet. Well, that takes out not only bread, 
but also cake, cookies, pies, muffins, biscuits, I mean, a whole bunch of things that it removed because wheat, cereal, I mean, wheat is in so many things that we have. Well, it's not really been a big deal, frankly. I mean, I'm eating a lot more vegetables and uh, fruits and golly, we're enjoying sushi, some things that I've not been a long time eater of, but it hasn't been that big deal. Well, I'll have to admit, I continue going to Taco Bell. I continue to enjoy Mexican food. At Taco Bell, let me give you an idea of some of the things that I do have there, but I'll also couch it in saying that I'm not so strict that I'm going to just scream bloody murder if a kernel of wheat touches my lips. I mean, I'm not really that. I mean, I, I have had dramatic health benefits in turning the corner with that, so I'm going to stick with it, but that doesn't mean that if I go somewhere and I have three bites of a piece of cake that I'm going to fall over in convulsions or something. And I don't make that big a deal. I mean, people that we eat with don't even know that I'm on a gluten-free diet. I just choose things that are, you know, that line up with my new eating habits. But at Taco Bell, surprisingly, as it may seem, their new cantina salad is amazing. I mean, they, they really are trying to position themselves as not just a bottom of the rung fast food place, but as more, um, you know, middle road kind of dining choice for families. The cantina salad is pretty kicking and I get that a lot. Now I also often get seven layer naked. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. The seven layer burrito has in it, you know, guacamole, tomato and beans and lettuce and rice and all kinds of cool, wonderful things. It's in a wheat flour tortilla. So if I get it naked, it just means they do all the ingredients without the tortilla. And I do that a lot. A lot of times I just go ahead and order it normally and just open it up and eat the insides. Um, I often get black beans and rice, as does my granddaughter. Chips and salsa. I mean, so there's a lot of things that I can get there. And again, even if I just get a burrito and just open it up, that's the only thing in most of the burritos that has a lot of gluten in it would be the tortilla itself. But I still eat... Uh, chips. I mean, when I go to Mexican restaurants, they bring out chips and I eat them. That, that's corn. Now, that's a little bit different. You could, you could have suspect some of the same kind of issues there. True. But I haven't eliminated corn from my diet. Again, the things that I've done have been pretty dramatic, but they've not been so radical that I'm a pain in the neck to have go out to lunch with. You know, I'm not one of those people. Anyway, interesting question. Thanks for your question. Um, Steve also says, my son started an organization a few years ago to provide micro credit loans to the poor in Uganda. I gave him your book, Wisdom Meets Passion. He was really inspired by it. He's headed back to Uganda with his family in a few weeks. I see a lot of your son, Jared, and him. Well, that's cool. I've had a lot of opportunities to speak in the last couple of months since Wisdom Meets Passion came out book that I wrote about the different generational approaches to work and finances and education and relationships, all those cool things that I did with my son who chooses to live in Mombasa, Kenya. And because of that, it's kind of hit a nerve that I did not anticipate. I mean, I really expected to be looking at the different approaches to work. The fact that these Gen Yers don't care about a vertical career path. They're more interested in relationships or causes so you have them working in your company and they say, wow, you're doing a really great job. We're going to make you division manager. And they say, oh, no, that's cool. You know, just leave things as they are. I don't want a cubicle separated from my fan- friends. I don't want to have to be their disciplinarian or their boss. 
and I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm getting by. I'm living in mom and dad's living room, uh, so I don't really need more money. I mean, the, the new approaches to work are mind-boggling for corporate America in the different kind of things that are being espoused as values with Gen Y. This group, 17 to 34 years old, 75 million strong, they're coming into the workplace. But what I didn't anticipate, now I'm getting a lot of opportunities to speak on that issue, but what I did not anticipate was how almost without exception when I speak, I have parents coming up with tears in their eyes saying, how can I have the kind of relationship with my son or my daughter that you have with Jared? How can I embrace a different lifestyle as you obviously have done with Jared, accept and validate my child in the way that you've done? And I have parents coming up and saying, wow, you know, I wish I had done. Now I have a strange relationship with my kids. You know, that has been more of a hot button in speaking on the concepts in my new book, Wisdom Meets Passion, than the economic principles that are laid out in there. And that's fine. I've welcomed that. I've had some opportunities to speak at missions conferences and at some, and, and at universities are asking me to come. You know, lots of those where I'm able to go in and talk about, you know, what kind of a workplace are these kids coming into? And at the, we're finding at those presentations, we're having parents show up as well. But anyway, delighted that your son is involved in those things. Uh, Micro Enterprises, golly, that's a great program. We see that with Kiva, which is an online networking organization that uh, I like to be involved in, where you can go in and make little loans. I mean, I loan somebody you know, $60 so they can buy the tools to start being an auto mechanic in Guatemala or someplace like that. And then to watch as they pay that back, you know, a dollar and 34 cents this month or whatever. I mean, I've got some money setting in there right now and I need to go in and select some new things to put the money back out because the money, I mean, if you put in a hundred dollars, you can have fun with it. It's just like a monopoly money because it just keeps coming back. And then you get the opportunity to give it to some somebody else and help them out. But the micro enterprise loans have been lifesavers to lots of people in third world countries. Probably the foremost leader of that is Muhammad Yunus who started Grameen bank. You can read his book banker to the poor and other kind of things, but great programs to help people who may be more disadvantaged than we get a fresh start. Renee, Renee says this is Renee from St. Clair's Shores, Michigan says, Dan, your podcast has made a huge impact in my life, especially your discussions regarding self publishing. Last week on Halloween day, I finished my novel rescued and self published it through lulu.com. I also designed the cover with a bright yellow taxi cab. How do I approach? Now, let me just stop there for just a second. Now, Renee has done what a lot of you are doing. I'm delighted. Almost daily, I have books sent to me where people have taken action on putting legs on the ideas they have. I mean, we know that 81% of Americans say they have a book inside them. Very few people ever do anything with it. So I always commend people when they take the steps to actually get a real book in their hands. You don't have to wait on a big publisher. You can do it yourself. There's a lot of ways to do that through create space on Amazon and certainly things like lulu.com that Renee is talking about here where she chose to work with them, which is a great company. She says, how do I approach Barnes and Noble or any other physical bookstore? I've been told bookstores don't stock self published books. 
Also, can I approach a publisher directly with my book now that it's finished, or am I better off marketing it myself? And if I approach a publishing house, how many book sales should I have acquired first? I'm using Facebook, Twitter, other social sites, have a blog, a basic website, reneebellis.com, and I'm on 48days.net. I don't expect my first book to become a bestseller, but I want to reach as many readers as possible. Any advice? Thanks for your words of encouragement, Dan. Well, Renee, you've done a beautiful job. I looked your book up on Lulu. I love the cover. It's a yellow taxi cab coming right at you. Rescued. The letters are like cut out of license plates. Really neat job and real bold and engaging. And then here's Renee's description of her book. This is just just an excellent job. Carrie Reynolds learns she has inherited her uncle's farm near Dayton, Ohio. Starting at the attorney's letter and oblivious to the shout of warning, Carrie plunges straight into the path of a rogue taxi cab. A flash of yellow, the cab speeds away, slamming Carrie's heels against the curb painfully. She is stunned as strong hands grab her and break her fall. Dazed but safe on the sidewalk, Carrie takes several deep breaths and finally gazes into the light blue eyes of her tall rescuer, Jake McKenna. Carrie heads to the farm and makes a startling discovery and enlists Jake's help. Destiny and fate conspire, drawing the two together on a dark, stormy night. Carrie pushes aside her fear and gives into the mounting passion, unaware that someone from her past plots to destroy her. That is a great, engaging description of your book. Geez, you've done a lot of things right to get it to this point. Now, your question, how can you get that into Barnes & Noble or other physical bookstores? You can do that. Now, that's going to be on a local level. You aren't going to have Barnes & Noble corporately say, we're going to get this in all 5,000 or whatever stores that they have. But if you go into your local Barnes & Noble, tell them that you are a local author. You've got this book out. Show them a copy. They always have a section for local books of local interest or local authors. They have a lot of book signings for local authors. Don't let anybody tell you that's not done. It's done a lot. And then you can go to any, any bookstore I mean any of the others. I mean, you can go to a Lifeway. Now that's a Christian bookstore. They may not be interested in your particular content, but you know, a, a personally owned a mom and pop bookstore, they're going to be candidates. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that all day long. Now, the other part of your question, can you go to a publisher and talk to them about your book? Yes, you can. How many copies do you need to sell yourself before it really gets their attention? You'd be surprised at how few really will get the attention of a publisher. Let me give you an example. Thomas Nelson, you know, big, big publisher, and they're the publisher of my latest book, Wisdom Meets Passion, but they also have a branch called Westbow for people like you who say, you know, I don't have the connections or the platform to get a deal with a publisher, but I want to write my own book. And you can do that through their self-publishing arm called Westbow. Well, guess what? Now you're like in the farm league. You're right there under their nose. They watch what happens with titles that are in Westbow. And they will see a title that all of a sudden has sold 2,000 copies. And they recently just signed somebody. I mean, I know the details on a particular situation, but they recently signed somebody where the book had sold about 2,000 copies. But they saw the comments coming in, the activity on that, and they said, wow, we're going to bring this up to the major leagues. And that's what they did. So even a couple thousand copies 
are going to put you in a rare category. I mean, keep in mind that the average book published only sells about 500 copies. So a couple thousand starts to put you into a smaller category. Realistically, I would encourage you to shoot for 10,000. If you can get it up to 10,000, boom, that's going to get the attention. You'll start to get some momentum and you see books like the Christmas box and the shack and lots of others that were self-published originally. They started hitting those numbers and all of a sudden publishers start standing in line. I mean, Dave Ramsey's with, with his first book, financial peace. It was at about that point, about 10,000 is when he got an agent and a major book deal with Viking. I had sold lots. I had sold lots and lots of them with, uh, I had sold about 50 or 60,000 48 days to the work you love in that three ring binder, the way that we had it back in the old days before I talked to a publisher, uh, they would have been willing to listen, but I, I was making so much money, frankly, with it. I just never even bothered to go talk to a publisher. And then when they started nipping my heels and we had some long discussions and I looked at the, the overall massive exposure they could provide, that's when I did, you know, sign a deal, even though I was already in really good shape with a platform established for 48 days. So yeah, you can do that, but um, you're doing a lot of things right. Don't think there's any one magic thing that's going to put you over the, over the hill. That's going to be the tipping point. Just keep doing the things that you're doing and you're going to be in really good shape. Monday, Monday. Can't trust that day. Well, we know that's not really true. You know, just kind of a step back in time there, the old mamas and papas song. Yeah, there's still a lot of mentality out here that, you know, work is something to be dreaded. Work is where we have a naturally adversarial relationship with the company, the boss. You know, they're the bad guys. Eh, It doesn't have to be that way. Now, also, though, keep in mind that legitimate, viable, profitable work models cover a broad spectrum at this point. So if you are in a eight to five job, you get two weeks vacation, 401k contribution, medical benefits. You know, we understand that as a very traditional job, but it's not a matter of just, well, either you do that or you go out here just on a wing and a prayer and you're some raving entrepreneur that doesn't have a real clue what's going on, but you hope to make a little money on an online business. No, it's not just one or the other. There are tons of models in between. Yes, we are rapidly moving to the time when only 50% of the American workforce are employees. But that means there are these new terms we hear like consultant, contingency worker, independent contractor, temp, freelancer, electronic immigrant. We can go on and on with legitimate terms that describe real work models, entrepreneur. But it's not just this black and white where either you have the security and predictability of a company or else you just have nothing. No, e- even if you want to have your own business, you, can, you may choose a franchise. Well, franchise, by definition, it means that there's already a clear prototype. This is the way to do it. We're going to help you. We're going to advise you on what to do, how many people to have on board, how much inventory to bring in, all those things. So it's, it's got a lot of structure to it. Now, their mantra in franchising is you are in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And that's pretty realistic. So you can choose how much structure you want, even as you move away from a traditional corporate model. But just keep in mind, there are a whole lot of new opportunities out here. And I also would encourage 
you, if you are in between opportunities, as we describe it around here at 48 days, don't just look for one model. If the only thing you're looking for is a job where you show up at eight, out at five, get two weeks vacation, have the 401k contribution and medical benefits. If that's the only thing you're looking for, yes, you're looking for a diminishing opportunity. That model is diminishing. But if you recognize clearly what you have as your most marketable skills, be that in human resources, graphic design, accounting, bookkeeping, programming, social media, whatever it happens to be, recognize your marketable skills ought to have application in more ways than just a traditional J-O-B. That's where you open the door to opportunity. And as soon as you accept responsibility for the results that you produce, it opens up a plethora of new opportunities. Well, let me get, let me get back to the questions here. This comes from Susie, who says, Dan, I'm in a position. Well, her subject title is, I need help with coaching and can't afford a coach. Susie says, I'm in a position where I cannot seem to find a job. My savings are gone and I'm feeling desperation. I was laid off from American Express due to reorganization in December of 2009 as my whole department positions were outsourced to India. Then I did contract work for American Express for about eight months and then the contract ended. Was out of work for three months, went to work for a consultant company. It was a new company. So that ended in April of 2012. So here I am now. And now we're in November. Here I am now without any leads on a job. Plus I'm 61 years old. So I'm really frustrated. I'm not ready to retire. Now I can't, can't retire due to my financial situation. Please help. Well, what you need to do, and she describes it. And we have a place here, emotional state. She says panicked. Well, I understand being panicked, but you don't need to stay there for long. Now I already described a little bit ago the work ethic of Gen Y coming into the workplace. Corporate America is scared to death with the mentality there. They're looking for people who understand a good work ethic, responsibility, and loyalty. Like people in your generation bring to the table, Susie. So don't think because you're 61 you're over the hill. That's just not true. That's not that's a that's a false obstacle. I mean, are there you know specific examples of that kind of age discrimination? Absolutely. But the real key is what value do you bring to the table? You ought to have things that show unique value in what you can do that a 25 year old hasn't had the luxury of ex- enough experience to get. So you ought to have unique value that only you can offer. That's where you have to be clue clear. Now, nobody owes you a job. Nobody's going to give you a job out of sympathy. So be careful that you don't have transparent feelings when you go out there that you're just looking for anything out of desperation. No, you need to be extremely clear about what it is that you do in a remarkable way. What is it that you do perhaps better than anybody else? That's what you have to look for. Hey, I'm going to send you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I don't know if you have that, but um, I want to make sure that I can get that into your hands. Well, let me grab a couple more here. David, this comes from Pennsylvania, and his subject line, all caps, is help my inner child is weeping. Boy, we're getting these poignant visual images. I should have pulled up a sound clip here. What do I have? My inner child is weeping. I don't have a good one to go with that. I've got all happy songs. 
Well, my dear child, last week, you know, we had somebody said, I feel like a lion that has been tamed and conditioned to adapt to zoo life. I have lost my roar. Boy, what a poignant mental image. I'm a lion in a cage in a zoo. I've lost my roar. Well, David says, help, my inner child is weeping. He says, Dan, I have an electronics degree from a technical school. As part of the program, I took on an internship with a company that I currently work for full-time for the past four years. Since I've started, I have gained no new skills at all. And worse yet, I have not even used the skills I obtained through school. I have tried looking for other work, but find either I do not have the experience that companies want, or they do not pay what I need. I've started working through 48 Days to the Work You Love, but I'm not sure what my passions are anymore. I feel trapped All I know is I don't want to work in the electronics field anymore. All right, David, you need to go get in touch with that inner child that's weeping that you describe. I mean, you you have to go beyond just knowing what you don't want to do. You have to open the door to what is that would be a good fit. What is it that would engage your best skills and talents? your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. You got to go get in touch with those. You can't expect those to come from an employer who says, oh, I've got a position over here. It's nothing you've ever done. It's nothing you know about or talented in, but I'm going to pay you to do this to see if you end up really liking it. I mean, that's just an unrealistic scenario. So if you want to move out of what it is that you've been doing, you're going to have to take the initiative. And this is something you can do. I mean, this is not something where you have to go back to school and get an additional degree or, you know, spend three years sitting on a mountaintop, you know, talking to the guru. No, this is something you ought to be able to do on a weekend. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot you a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion. You know, when you talk about not knowing what your passion is, I mean, golly, I mean, that was my desire when I wrote that book is to help people understand what their passion is, to tap into that if you don't know it, to get a fresh glimpse of what that is. I've got all kinds of exercises in there, ways to help you do that. That book was prompted by a conversation that I had with my son, Jared, with whom I wrote the book. But when he was first going to Africa about eight years ago, and the day before he was going, he wrote a note to his mom and me, and he said in that note, I have a lot of fear about what I'm attempting to accomplish with the people that I care so much for in Africa. He says, but my passion exceeds my fears of inadequacy. And I thought, wow, if I could help people tap into that kind of passion that gets us past our fears of inadequacy, that gets us past our low self-esteem, low self-confidence, my gosh, we could change the world. One person at a time, we could do amazing things. You need to tap into that kind of passion. What is that passion for you? I'll send you a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion. Hey, let me just remind you, Hoping the economy gets better is going to have little impact on assuring your success. Making yourself better will guarantee your success. That's what I want you to do. Hey, let me just give you a quick reminder here about the cruise. Hey, I'm Pierce Mars, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the upcoming Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. One of my favorite things about the cruises have been the connections I've made. So many new friends and associates. There is no better way to relax and enjoy business at the same time. Our first year on the cruise, we met some wonderful people. Our second year, I was a speaker. And this year, I'm looking forward to speaking with you about Wisdom Meets Passion, the theme of Dan's upcoming book. 
Join us in February on the new ship Celebrity Reflection, traveling to San Juan, St. Martin, and my favorite, St. Thomas. To book your cruise, go to 48days.com. Well, as you know, we are out of time. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we are taking charge of what our work, what our world looks like. We don't need to worry about the economy or what's happening in Washington, D.C. We need to take care of business right where we are. That doesn't mean we don't care about those things. Don't get me wrong there. We do. We're a part. We're a small part of what's going on. We help create what ultimately happens there. We're going to take responsibility for that. Those of us who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Thanks for being part of the gang.